Welcome to a football show Thursday edition here live from the Cast Collective Studios in Music Row, on Music Row. See, I got I got through it two days in a row, two shows in a row, and then I couldn't use the right verbs and prepositions and pronouns. This and is, even when we were doing sound check, I nailed it. Yeah, well, you're a better man than I. There's there's no, of this is not a debate. <laughs> this is not up for debate. He's Zach, I'm Braden. Welcome in. This is the Cast Collective Studio here in the heart of Nashville That's on true. Music Row. Cast underscore collective, of course, on Instagram to get involved if you want to rent the space out for a, a nice private party, perhaps, or a work event, any, any something like that, you know? Make sure you check them out. Um, we've got a big show planned for you guys today. Titans minicamp is over, sort of, and we had a chance to watch some football, sort of, and we've got a lot of non-story stories that we're going to talk about today on the show. We love a good non-story story. story. Non-issue issues. (laughs) Uh, So that means Jeffrey Simmons and his contract situation. We'll get into that. Apparently, and I I don't know if this is the national media that has started this. If this started back with Mentorgate and Ryan Tannehill, I'm not sure. I I don't know where the culture issue question debate. I don't know how this has become a thing. But it's just the new kids on the block. We'll we'll just put it all to bed then. That's why you listen to the show. No empty calories. We'll put it it all to bed. Um, We do have some observations, of course, from the the, the two days of practice that we've been out there. Um, uh, Some quick under the radar Nate Davis talk as well. Well, I love some good Nate Davis talk because, I mean, we got the answer to our show on Monday. Right. I mean, we sure. we wondered what his conditioning was going to be, what he looked like. We even got some more details about Nate Davis's 2021 season. I saw some details. Yeah. Of, that, of Nate. He was wearing the crop top, the midriff, not often sported by a large offensive lineman. Felt very comfortable in his new bod. Yeah. New so. bod. <laughs> he's, he's, Hot bod, new bod. He's, he's feeling good, uh, Nate Davis. So, again, what do people need to do if they want to get involved in the show, Zach? Head over to the 440 Sports YouTube page. Get into the comments. We're here all the time. Subscribe. Do notifications. Do all the stuff. Share it to everybody. Everybody in your life needs to know that this show is the best live show in Nashville. That's a bold statement, and I agree with you on it. Uh, F-Words Pod, of course, not a live show, but one of the best podcasts in the That's network. True. You and Lebowski had many words, many F-words. Many, <laughs> many F-words. This week on the show. Make sure you check that out. All the other great shows, of course, across the 440 Sports Network. The Gold Standard, Club and Country, Fringe Element, Lamestream Sports, you name it. We got you covered here in Nashville with all different types of sports. And, of course, our title sponsor. How can we forget? The Kingston Group. BuildKG.com is the website. Thanks for promoting and supporting us. So if you guys need any work done on your house, make sure you just go to the website. BuildKG.com. It's not very difficult to remember. Nope. Have a conversation with them. They are a nose-to-tail, full, fully integrated organization. You don't need... You know how many people I know in this town that have signed up with independent contractors and been, like, screwed over? Probably a lot, because that's what... No offense to the contracting business, but independent <laughs> contractors do tend to uh, skirt some rules. Let's broad brush the entire industry. Yeah. Uh, this is... The whole point of using the Kingston Group is you avoid all of that drama. They have everything in-house. Yeah. Design team, everything. So anything, anything you want to do with your house, Kingston Group, buildkg.com. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So we're going to do Simmons later. We're going to do culture, non-issue issue later. We're going to do some Nate Davis bod talk. But, I, you know, I saw on your Twitter feed a Ooh. couple of clips Go from on. at least three different players, and we're, we got a fourth player. But there are four players that I want to talk about because you were able to talk to Amani Hooker, which now you were the only one to talk to Amani Hooker, correct? Uh, ben Arthur of the Tennessee came up right behind me, but uh, he was kind of by himself. So this is furthering my uh, narrative that... For whatever re- reason, the media at large hates Amani Hooker. Don't know why. Uh, That's a narrative. But they, That's well, a yeah. I mean, you got to remember uh, when he went up. Uh, PK said oh, you could tell that nobody's here because they sent out Amani Hooker. Oh man. Uh, so you and Ben Arthur. He's got to stay on brand. PK yeah. Does, so. 
But uh, he had some interesting words in your video, and he and it kind of echoes what we've been kind of talking about. Yep. What did he say? So this is why I wanted to ask him, because um, you and I have talked about this. We've sort of been not really dancing around it, but just sort of we're very bullish on the defense. We're very bullish on the secondary. And as, as I've watched the secondary over the course of the last two days and three weeks, you said it, I think, two weeks ago. I said it on the last episode. I think this is the best secondary the Titans may, have, may ever have. Like from a talent, depth, versatility standpoint, some pieces have to fall into place for that to be true. I would say it's at least on paper, in theory, the best since probably the Samari Roll days and yep. probably the best since it was uh, the 13-3 and three is Cortland Finnegan, Jason McCourty, and Michael Griffin. It's pretty good, although I'm not a huge – I don't think Michael Griffin's a, an extremely great player. The, the, he's no Parrish Cox, okay? Let's yeah. just be honest about this. So I said I – wa I wanted to ask somebody who's been here a few years. I said, is this the best group of guys, secondary players, from a versatility, depth, talent standpoint that you've ever been around? And he basically said yes. He said this is the best group of guys – we've ever had from a talent exact perspective. Exact words. Yeah. I like, mean, that's pretty, it's yeah. pretty big. And so, and he followed that up by saying, you know, yes, all of that matters, but what's up here matters. And he points to his head and he's like, this is where, you know, some guy like Theo Jackson, Roger McCreary, I think they have all the physical skills to be one of the best secondaries in Titans history. Mentally, they're going to have to come along quickly. But if you look at Farley, Fulton, McCreary, Molden, Hooker, Byard, Jackson, Jackson, it's a pretty damn good group. And don't forget Buster Screen. And Buster Screen's just sort of like an afterthought, yeah. but it like, shouldn't be. So Yeah, I mean, he he may be in the role of like what Greg Maben was. He kind of just fills in here and there, but you're talking about a guy that in a pinch played well for this team last year and has a history of, of being okay. I wouldn't say he's been fantastic everywhere he's been. You know, he he came from the Cleveland Browns, I believe, yeah. as last stop. But you're talking about and, and he played for the Jets, I think, before that. But you're talking about a whole a, a deep. We talked about this. It is deep. It has at least five to six guys that could technically start, and that's just from the cornerback room, not including Amani Hooker and not including yep. um, Kevin Byer that could start on other teams. And and we'll get to this when we talk about some of the players that we sort of had like uh, I don't want to say like under the radar performances of camp or whatever. But there's a couple of guys that I think would that qualify in this conversation that would also qualify in that one later on in the show. Uh, if that's not too confusing for the audience. So under-the-radar performers from camp a little bit later on, a few of them are DBs. How about gotcha. that? I like it. Uh, so yeah, Hooker agreed. He said, yep, this is the best group he's been around. Which I think is a good sign for a team that has so many offensive question marks on paper, right? I mean, we we I think I, ha I feel a little bit better about this offense than how I felt about the offense after in the regular season last year. Because obviously okay. I felt really good about the offense last year with the addition of Julio Jones before – yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, regular yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like this this offense is in a better spot than it was last year, and that will play into our Nate Davis conversation later. But you you look at it, and I don't see a flaw outside of youth. I guess you could say. Yep. In this in this group. Yeah, I, I and what you see from the secondary, and I, I don't want to get. I'm trying not to get ahead of myself because I want to praise a couple of players later on in the under the under the radar thing, but like the second stringers are not getting told that they're making mistakes. The second stringers aren't out of position. The second stringers aren't reading it right, wrong. They're not calling out the wrong play. Like, they immediately go to the third stringers, and that's when the coaches are screaming, get it right, get it right, you did this wrong, you lined up wrong, you know, all the things that the coaches are coaching up and trying to get out of your system. It, none of it happens with the first team, but none of it happens with the second team either, and that's, that's an interesting development. Again, I think it feeds into what we've believed kind of about the team all along. Well, and this draft class is... 
I know I'm probably getting my head ahead of myself a little bit, but this is screaming 2019 draft class all over again for me. I mean, I'm just seeing the way that they're approaching yeah. practice, the way that you you see them actually put into practice what they're being told just screams the 2019 draft class. But let's talk about what Taylor Lewan said about a member of the 2021 draft class that has been much maligned, and that is Dylan Radins. So he said, and um, this was not a singular conversation. This was everyone and their mother trying to get a minute with Taylor Lewan. And uh, he did make a joke about Harold Landry basically saying, yeah, he's a little bit slower. He's got all that money in his pockets, which I think is, is just prototypical Taylor Lewan. Yeah. Um, who, by the way, Taylor Lewan looks lighter and fresher and more he- more he- more healthier. <laughs> he yeah. looks healthier than he was at this time last year coming off the ACL. So just a, an observation there. But he said something about Dylan Radins that I thought was interesting. And he basically just said, look... He knows the playbook a little bit better, and he is in much better condition. Those are two pretty big nuggets for a guy who plays the same position as you yeah. on the team to be saying, look, not only does he look more comfortable in the system, but he's in better football shape, and we're, we're still weeks away from camp. Now, now, Vrabel did say like the most important part of the offseason is like this next six weeks where we just let you go. And Which is something that we've said, too. And it, right. what I n- go, we go, don't, go we're not it. really going to be go talking about the Traylon Burks, but... <laughs> You know, he specifically mentioned Traylon Burks will be there on Monday at the workout. And so yeah. they obviously got a plan for Traylon Burks, <laughs> which is good news, which is something that we wanted them to have. Yes. He basically said this five weeks between the end of mandatory camp and the start of training camp, we don't really have a lot of control over the veterans. They have to do it on their own. We trust them all. They're professionals. They're paid to be in shape, blah, 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 you know, blah, 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 blah. So that, that is what's going to be interesting about Dylan Radins is right now he's ahead of last year by a pretty big margin. And Taylor Juan just said it. Like he just was like, yeah. He's smarter and he's in better shape. That's a pretty. There's two. Doesn't mean he's a starting right tackle or he's going to be great or whatever. But those are two pretty good things for your left tackle to say about your right tackle. Well, and that you got to put those two things go in with what he has said himself and what other people have said about him, Keith Carter specifically and Mike Vrabel, that he looks more comfortable. Yes. In all three of these things, being healthier, being in more conditioning, knowing the playbook, being more comfortable. That all didn't happen last year because you got to remember Dylan Radins hadn't played in about a year and a half. He hadn't been probably in shape or around the game of football in a year and a half. Yeah. So all that matters when you're when you're talking about this. So this is good progression, right? A lot of yeah. people, including myself, kind of make these jokes about Dylan Radins about that he was going to work the concession stand this week. <laughs> I know that uh, he apparently doesn't have the. Uh, correct uh, demeanor on the sidelines he likes to hog the fans or the heaters when during games and stuff so this is all good news for a guy that seemingly almost the whole I'd say at least 60 percent of the fan base has completely written off as a bust after his first year and we talked about this I think on our very first show over a month ago where we said if you were to write off players after the first practice camp month, even week of the season, like Nate Davis wouldn't be considered a great player. Like right. it, it takes time for guys to become professional athletes. Some guys are ready right away, and that's true. But I, I will say this: it's it's hard to put your finger on what makes Dylan Radins look better right now. But he just if you just watch him, he looks better. And that I think that is comfort, comfort, knowledge, and 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 shape. He looks like he's in a little better shape. Again, I don't you know I'm not measuring his body fat or whatever. So. Well, I, I think that. If he was a third round pick, there probably had been a little bit more leeway. I think I always find it interesting that yeah, there's some true. great divide between a second and third round pick. I, I did it for whatever reason. It's like if you're a second round pick, you have these higher. Do standards. you do it? 
I, I don't really do it. I used to. Now, let me say that. My, my thinking has changed probably in the last year and a half to two years. So I used to do it. I used to think that first-round draft picks, second-round draft picks, third-round draft picks should all be starting or find a spot on this roster, and that's yeah. not necessarily the case anymore. I, I, this is not what we plan on talking about, but I find it interesting. I think first-round picks are like you just can't miss on them, which obviously Robinson did with Isaiah Wilson. But like you just can't miss on first-rounders. They need to be starters. Two through four is where you build your roster. Right. Like, that's where all your players on your team are. <laughs> like, and it took me a while to come around to that thinking. Like, and I, so I, I don't really blame the fans yeah. for, for thinking that as a whole, but that's why we're trying to educate you and lift you up <laughs> and not come down to the sewers. Yes. No empty calories. Speaking of lifting up others, yes. Austin Hooper, tell us about what you told me off the air about him and Malik Willis. So it was in between, like they do individual drills and they do team drills and then they kind of have a little break where they kind of do some like light conditioning, like stretching, loosening up. And, and for the quarterbacks and, and guys like kickers, they're not, you know, there's not a whole lot of stuff they're supposed to be doing. And during one of the down periods, it was on Wednesday. Today's Thursday, right? Yeah. On Wednesday, live football show, Mondays and Thursdays, 1 p.m., live from the Cast Collective Studio, brought to you by the Kingston Group. Um, in, in the downtime, I was standing by myself at the, on the, in the end zone, and Austin Hooper kind of like, Malik Willis is just standing there. Ryan Tannehill is talking to a, uh, either O'Hare or Downing, I can't remember who it was, Tim Kelly maybe, about some, some, some concepts. And Malik Willis is just kind of standing there. And Austin Hooper is just kind of standing there. So he just kind of like smacks him. And he's like, hey, Malik, let's, let's run some routes here. And one of the coaches got involved and they worked on, you know, specific routes around the goal line, ball placement, because Hooper can go up and get it. Like he's got this huge catch radius. And so well, I'm sure he played basketball, right? I yeah, mean, like, he, yeah, I think I heard that about Austin Hooper. Huge catch radius. Uh, also, great route craft. We'll get to that oh. in a little bit. Um, but he, but every single place you could think about the, again, I can't, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say. Think about how tight ends score football. <laughs> yeah. Football. Every way that a tight end could score in a short yardage goal line situation, so inside the five-yard line, they were working. He just, like, pulled Malik aside and was like, hey, let's, let's throw some balls. And he worked on where he wanted the football. I want it up here on this route. I want it over here on this route. Like, make sure you're down here on this route. And Willis and him just worked for about five minutes when no one else was doing anything else. And so I walked up to him after the practice. And I said, what, you know, you're new here, you're, but you're a veteran in the NFL, What's give me the line of thinking on how you approach all of this? And he basically just said, "Look, I am not fully. In, I, I don't know the system yet. I need it to be second nature, so I'm still learning. But in that same process, I know he's a rookie. I'm a veteran. If there's a chance that there's an arm free, we should be working on routes, which doesn't speak uh, great of Traylon Burks. But Austin Hooper, to me, and I think you've said this from the beginning, this is Denico Autry on the offense. Yeah." This uh, is, I didn't say that, but I'll take oh, you credit didn't say for that? it. Okay. I did, I, but I'll take credit for it. I, I absolutely said it. Then I don't, don't check the tape. <laughs> then I apologize for whoever did, and I didn't mean to absorb it into my brain through osmosis, but it does remind me of that type of veteran presence who stabilizes and leads by example, and all of a sudden Malik Willis is throwing better you know, over-the-top lob passes to the tight end or whatever. And so it, Which matters it, for it was him cool to watch. because for a guy with all the arm talent in the world, sometimes those are the toughest. He probably wasn't asked a lot to make those throws because no. he'd already scored or he's running it in, right? No, there's not a, from the five-yard line, you need to drop it in over a defensive end and a linebacker and a safety, but you have a three- 
foot window to yeah. get it to Austin Hooper's hands above. I've a, seen him make like one or two of those throws, but again, when you're talking about a something or an athlete in an offense like Malik Willis was in, a quarterback like he was in in that Liberty offense, he's either scoring from yeah. 50 yards out or he's right. running it in right. that in that zone. And so it doesn't seem like a lot for that to happen. That I, seems like I something. feel like that's a huge thing. I think I think okay. I think to me, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, so everybody the the big thing on Tuesday was uh uh People saying that Logan Woodside is stealing, stealing, by the way, <laughs> reps from valuable reps from Malik Willis. And we have seen what Logan Woodside is because he played in the AAF or the AFL or wherever he came from. <laughs> and the, he is stealing reps from Malik Willis. And then I look at this. Well, here's reps that Logan Woodside's not stealing. Yeah. And these kind of reps. The number one tight end. Yeah. And these kind of reps are pretty valuable because it goes back to me to the 33rd team. I don't know if you follow them on, on Twitter, but. Uh, they had an interview surrounding Malik Willis. I believe it was a Greg Cassell and Brian Schottenheimer and another coach. I can't remember. It may have been Brian Billick. Um, but they were all talking, and they were talking specifically about Malik Willis. And I've shared this clip, I think, three times on my Twitter because I, I love it. But this is going to that is as a as a quarterback coach or as maybe Tim Kelly or or even these veterans, you have to generate – reps for Malik Willis outside yeah. the normal practice structure, yeah, yeah, and this yeah. is doing that. No, I think that's exactly what it is. And I, again, I also think it shows you the stabilizing veteran professional presence that Austin Hooper brings to the offense, which is why we've talked about how we think the skill position players are actually better this year, because they have a true professional adult tight end. Yeah. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful to Anthony Ferkser, but like this guy can play in every down. Don't see he's, Jeff Swain doing this. He's a, he, Listen, I, and here's the thing. I love what I see out of Chigakonku, like he is. Oh man, he is a fun dude to watch. He scored like four touchdowns. And his in two pressers days. are like, amazing. He, he is built like a brick shit house, and is just like he's fun to watch. That they, they, I uh, again, we can't give specifics here, but I think Titans fans should be very excited about how the tight ends are all going to be used together in their offense. That's as much as I can say. But that is one of the things out of all of minicamp and OTAs. How they are going to use personnel groupings on offense, I think, is going to be really fun to watch. Well, I think it's. I think it goes to show you that they they John Robinson. It may last a year, but if something is terrible, he's going to course correct really yeah. quick, and that's what he did. It's interesting. Uh, Caleb asks us about how involved Tim Kelly has been so far, and we're not again not allowed to tell you like the specific words that they're using in the conversations, but we can tell you how what we see. And generally, when they're in skeleton or team, it is almost all Todd Downing's voice. You don't hear much of anything else. When they're an individual, it's almost all Pat O'Hara's voice, who is with Malik and with Ryan and with uh, Logan. So there's Tim Kelly is sort of just always there. He seems like he's like he has some things to say. Well, have isn't that how Jim Schwartz was too? Because I, 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 so, I wonder yeah. if they're yeah. ever going to make Tim Kelly available for press. And I don't think they will because they never made Jim Schwartz available. They don't right? have to. Yeah, maybe not. It's it, like, Todd Downing's voice is the voice of the offense, in particular when they're running in team drills or skeleton drills. But it, it, Kelly is always involved in everything. Right. So Pat O'Hare takes the lead in individual. Todd Downing takes the lead in team. But Tim Kelly is sort of right by their side the entire way. Do you find that Todd Downing is more comfortable as offensive coordinator this year from what you've seen? Or is he just... As far as maybe more vocal, more organized, he's not. See, he was. I think he's actually more vocal last year. But that's was uh, my memory is from camp, so I don't. Gotcha. Um, uh, camp, I assume, is probably a little bit more intense, trying to weed out who you're going to actually keep and cut. Um, he is a more vocal coach. Period. Gotcha. Like he is just he's yelling about route combinations and trees and this and that. He's always kind of yelling at someone to do that, not in a bad way. Just like he's just bombastic. I guess is the right word. Whereas Pat O'Hara is way more 
analytical and like soft-spoken and sort of like it's more about you and me talking like one-on-one about about like where your right foot needs to go like Malik and I think and Vrabel said this in the press conference Malik Malik Willis has I think you're seeing his coachability because you're seeing the little things that are starting to be like polished a little bit he's not anywhere where he needs to be starting but he's it's getting polished you can tell Robert Woods last last person that we want to talk about is Robert Woods and specifically um Basically, he was able to take it off the knee brace and practice and then <laughs> put it back on. So to talk to us about that transition. So quick. my favorite part of Titans practice is is seven-on-seven seven skeleton drills. It's my favorite part of practice because in, because in OTAs where there's no pads, you cannot tell who's winning a one-on-one battle in the line of scrimmage. Right. But when you see a corner locked up in man coverage on a wide receiver and there's a, a route that, that's being run specifically, you can tell who's in the right position and who's winning that battle. Like that's why I love watching that so much. So uh, the reason I say that is that we're standing in the end zone and, and it was Austin Stanley and I standing in the end zone and Robert Woods goes up on, on a, on a back of the end zone, sort of higher pass. He catches it, comes down on the reconstructed knee. So he goes up, he catches a pass at the back of the end zone and he lands on his left knee. All of the pressure, all of the weight comes down on that knee didn't look like he favored it at all. Doesn't look like he reacts at all. He immediately takes the knee brace off and then starts running, a, running all the finishes, the, all the individual drills. Well, then they go into team. They run one play and there is a pop and a crack in the middle of the huddle. No idea how it happened because they're not wearing pads. It was a helmet to helmet Derrick Henry, Robert Woods on the same offense while wearing a non-contact jersey. They hit each other. And the whole, the whole, everyone in the room is like, why did that just happen? He runs out of there and puts the knee brace on immediately thereafter. So it's like one play. Basically, what I saw was a guy confident in his knee, but doesn't need to be getting into trouble with contact in the middle of June. Well, and so this also, is all very good stuff. This is all good stuff when you consider Lawan and Dupree and where they were at in the same situation last year. This goes to show you that. Um, I guess doing rehab in LA is much better than doing rehab in Nashville. Um, <laughs> or, or maybe 192 yeah. pounds is easier. And, uh, you know, I don't know. But I think that's a good sign that you're seeing him being way more comfortable in a in a in a spot that probably uses maybe Bud Dupree would be over Taylor Lewan, but uses the torque in the knee and in that yeah. and everything more more frequent. And I don't know, like. Because you talk about torque, like I'm assuming Bud Dupree's knee is the one that takes the most most beating. You think so? Out of all of them, if I had to get, I mean, I, we're not. Yeah, I, you're a doctor. I'm not. I'm a doctor. doctor. But if, I would say Robert Woods, Bud Dupree, then Taylor Lewan. I, I think as far as the explosiveness, the, 100% yeah. on Robert Woods. It's about the weight. It's mass times acceleration, right? Is velocity? Is that what it is? Yes. Or mass. So to me, it's like the weight plus the torque equals the the strain. Gotcha. And that's why I could see Bud Dupree having the most like. I really need to explode through a 300-pounder, and also I'm 250 or whatever, whereas Woods is putting a lot less weight on his knee but a lot more torque. I don't know. Again, yeah. I don't know if these are the right physics terms or not. I'm not a doctor or a phys- physics person. So, uh, Either way, the fact that he took his knee brace off immediately after landing on it and then finished the drill without the knee brace Great I think sign. is a pretty good sign. Well, so you want to talk about Big Jeff? Well, I was gonna, let's, I was, I'll set you up for this. So Big Jeff is not at practice either of the two days. Um, but he's there and he answers questions. I just want to know what your reaction to is the entire conversation because we started on Monday by saying this isn't really a story. There's no real contract dispute. That was basically all that they wanted to talk about. What? How do you view what took place over the last few days with Jeffrey Simmons, the Titans, Mike Vrabel, John Robinson, and the contract? 
I think it's still a non-story, but I think it's a non-story for a different reason. It's not that I don't think that he's going to get a raise or that he's holding out. I kind of think that when he got started talking about his representation and how we'll all see or hear, I'm sure you'll hear about his representation, I'm not really involved in any of it or whatever. So I wonder if a deal's not more imminent than what we think because maybe when the deal's announced, then you'll see, oh, here's my representation the whole time. Yep. You know, to me, it's it's... Again, it kind of goes back to the co- the staff and the way the Titans treat the media with the, all these cloak and dagger kind of stuff. I, I think that other people are going to make a big story out of it. I'm not concerned that even if there isn't a contract in place by training camp, that he's going to hold out of training camp and not be there or not participate. Because he obviously, from everything that he said, from his body language, from the words that he used... He is not, he doesn't really, he knows that he'll get taken care of. He doesn't, he wants to play football. He has a team that does it. He's not involved. This is the opposite of A.J. Brown for me, right? Yeah, Both 2019 dra- uh, draft, uh, draftees. And to me, I'm looking at this thinking, well, he's got a, He's got the Cooper Cup approach, right? Like, yeah. just take care of me. We will we'll handle it. But he's less involved because it sounds like he just like, yeah, they work for me. But again, I'll be informed when I need to be informed, and I don't have anything to be informed of right now. And I am following the plan of the Titans. And then you have Rabel echoing the same thing, and Rabel yeah. saying, "I don't choose who practices and plays based on their contract situation." That's I, I out think of my thing. Could, I, 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 what I'm saying is, is that it might be it, a bit disingenuous. I, I maybe <laughs> I what I'm saying is to get to the that point was. Very rarely in contract negotiations where there's a holdout or even a hold in, do you see both sides on the same page and and carrying the same message? There's no. It's not contentious. There, yeah, it's not contentious. Yeah. No animosity between the two sides because even when T.J. Watt did a hold in, it was a public vocal. I'm not coming to practice. It carried all the way till September 8th. That's when he came back and actually participated in practice. And and even Keith Butler was talking about it. He said at the time, he goes, you know, I understand this is May, this is June, this is, you know, now they were in July. And actually, he said these words in August. I understand. You want to get paid. There's no sense in you being here from a player's perspective. And I think that Jeffrey Simmons is, is different in that he wants to be on the field. Whether he had to be on the field, I don't think is a big deal. And I, I, I guess it's a little odd that he wasn't on the field, but again... I mean, it's two days of practices. Like of all the players on the team that don't need to that the risk reward of practicing in a hundred and ten degree heat index in June, the risk reward for Jeffrey Simmons is basically nothing for me. Like I don't see any value in what they do along the line of scrimmage if if you if if you sort of trust him to be in football shape coming into camp. Like I just don't there's no value to me in, in what they needed him to do especially since he's already in the best shape of his life right so to me this is like i think all the things are true here and it's all the most obvious stuff right like he wants to get paid titans want to pay him there's no reason to practice him so the titans didn't practice him vrabel and simmons don't have really anything to do with the contract negotiation honestly like they'll get told about it they'll be asked you know like privately is this the right thing we should do do we want this player hey is this the right number for you jeff like do you want that like they'll be asked eventually but like really they don't have anything to do with the actual negotiation it's john robinson and Jeffrey Simmons' representation. So I don't, like, to me, this is, it's one of those things where I think we're digging and trying to pull back the curtain on all this stuff, and there's, like, the thing that's in front of the curtain is behind the curtain. It's just a guy that deserves to get paid. The team wants to pay him. 
and they're just sort of like saying the things. And and we loud. can kind of segue this into the culture thing, but haven't we learned by now that what they say you can take at face value? Pretty okay. much. I mean, I can't Pretty think much. of a time that they truly have lied to no. anybody with the. And I, I think that's the thing is that everybody's looking or is that cutting him thing was kind of like. Like like a, uh, he was avoiding it, but it wasn't like a lot. It wasn't. A lot. I, yeah, I don't. I don't think that was a big deal in, in the big scheme of things. I I rarely remember that he walked out of a press conference cussing. But I guess the Funny. thing is, is that when they say that this was the plan, and this was, and he says this was the plan, it was the plan. It was the plan. No, I totally agree. When you hold in, like, do you bring? Like a sleeping bag and jammies yeah. and like like some popcorn. like a lock in. That's what I think of when you say yeah. like hold in. I just think of a if it's a hold in. I think it's above a church. I think it's the world's or the league's worst uh, hold in like <laughs> that they have I have ever seen I because I, just, I mean I just don't think that there's any animosity. To me, holdouts and hold-ins need a little bit of uh, butting of the heads from the two sides, okay. right? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I get in the essence, it's by definition a hold-in because he's inside and he's technically maybe holding out. <laughs> but I just feel like it's if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I, at this point, think that uh, Simmons' extension is more likely than uh, them signing a free agent wide receiver. What, about a, Der- what about a Derrick Henry extension? Or shifting some money around. No, I, I don't. Rework. I, I don't think that matters. What about a Tannehill rework? Mm, I don't think that. I think with the, everything you're seeing from Malik Willis and the stuff you're hearing, okay. we'll see on training camp. Yeah, yeah. But if he keeps on progressing, I think they're feeling so good about until that. Until they actually have pads on. Yeah. Um, no, I just like like it when you said Holden. I just like every time you say Holden. I, Holden. I think of multiple things. One of them is a the guy from uh, Mindhunter. Holden was like the main agent in Mindhunter. Anyway, watch the show. It's a good show. It is a good show. Very um, good show. All right. So speaking of, again, I just think the. The, the, the truth of the Jeffrey Simmons situation is sort of just out there. It's just the truth. I, I don't... <laughs> cultural issues with the Tennessee Titans. I, I am trying... Like, I don't know if this starts with Mentorgate and the national media sort of thinking that there's disagreement between the two quarterbacks in the quarterback room. I, I don't... I, I don't know where a cultural question about the Tennessee Titans has come from you know i i don't blame the national media because like we said on monday and i've said on the show uh football under the efforts i said on this show numerous times they're just not educated about the inner workings unless you're diana Rossini or maybe in Rappaport. most most people in the There's national a handful media, of people that are going to break yeah. the big news of the titans and it's like two or three people yeah so they they're not really there for the inner workings i feel like what's weird is that these are questions coming from the local media now that started a few weeks ago, then it kind of died off. It started after the A.J. Brown stuff, and then when voluntary, <laughs> I love that, you know, the coach even said this on his presser on uh, Wednesday. He, he goes, well, am I concerned that people didn't show up to voluntary workout? No. Like, so where do you think, like, honestly, where do you think it comes from? Like, like is, it the tr- is it all of the little tiny stories, like the Jeff Simmons thing, Traylon Burks thing, Mentorgate, you know, Tannehill not talking to the media? Like, is it all of it combined that's leading us to, but I don't. I don't have any questions about their culture. I, it's the one thing I don't question. With yeah, the see, that's Titans. the thing to me is that like all those things that you're describing have nothing to do with the Tennessee Titans culture. I know because all those things are the personal personality or the personal choice of the player themselves, or something out of their control, like the Traylon Burks thing. So what, where does it? I don't know where it come from. I, I mean, that's the thing is that like I was going to ask you. That was my question for you today. Like, what is I the? Know. I don't know. Why were there at least I believe three questions yesterday on Wednesday's press conference to Mike Vrabel surrounding the thing, and in one of them <laughs> surrounding culture, and he point blank is this your first year covering, 
And she goes, no, it's my second. I don't know who he's asking it to. And, you know, I don't know everybody's voices or anything. But He actually gave a pretty Yeah, he then went into the, because I think he felt bad. And <laughs> maybe that's, like, that's how you get very, yeah, very able to answer. You kind of make him feel like guilty. A, come on, Dad. <laughs> um, but, I, but then someone else asked a question, and I'm like, I don't recognize that voice. And I don't, and think, I, I don't think it has anything to do with the people asking the question. Well, I, do you think it's uh, what I'm asking is I wonder if it's not because of people that are new to covering the Tennessee Titans and I don't know who they are and I, I don't really matter. I just wonder if yeah, that I know, plays into it. I know most of the people that ask those questions. I don't think and I don't think they're, you know, first year people. What I think it is, and this is my guess, because yeah. this, this is what we're doing here, because we have no freaking clue why people are questioning the culture. Here, here's here's I think there is a national media that has like trickle down effect into our Twitter brains about issues with the team fabricated small real or otherwise it just feels like this slow drip of tiny little stories that that feel like why isn't Traylon Burks practicing why does Ryan T- Tannehill not want to mentor Malik Willis which, which by the way all he did for two days at minicamp was mentor Malik Willis I want to make sure oh, it sounds like Ma- Malik Willis is getting uh, being taught by almost all of veterans. everybody everybody so I, what, a gr- what a horrible locker room for everybody to be yeah. going out of their way to make sure that a rookie quarterback knows what he's doing. A horrible is, locker room. Zach, it is June 16th, and we are not going to have any football activity for five weeks. But is this enough to carry shows and carry the I, media for five weeks? No, but it's enough for this week, I guess. And I... And again, I'm not even like ripping on the media here for this. No, no. I want we want to set the record straight here and just say to people because again, I'm gonna I'm gonna rattle off a list of people that I saw working to get better at football over the last two days: Taylor Lewan, Ben Jones, Kevin Byard, Bud Dupree, Austin Hooper, Danico Autry, Ryan Tannehill, Robert Woods, David Long, Amani Hooker, Harold Landry, Mike Vrabel, the entire coaching staff, John Robinson, Nate Davis, on and on and on and on and on. If there's one thing that this team has in spades over everyone else is a a core ethos and philosophy and culture with veteran players who have been in it for a long time. Yeah. I I don't know why people would be questioning that part of this team. That's the the good part. I remember leadership being an issue, I believe, last year where people said, well, who are the leaders on this team? Or will Derrick Henry step up to be a leader? It was a couple uh, years ago. I didn't even mention Derrick Henry. Yeah, you didn't even mention Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, by the way, looks like a freak freak of nature as usual. I I guess my thing is that when are you going to put respect on the veterans that are here? Instead of saying we don't have enough veterans, the the veterans that we do have are enough. That's a lot of dudes that have played a lot of games. Yeah. A lot I, of them in Titans uniforms for Mike Vrabel. Yeah, I just I don't understand at this point. It goes back to kind of knowing how they operate. The, we know what the locker room is going to be. We know what Mike Vrabel is. We know what John Robinson is. We know what the guys they look for. You either sink or swim and join the culture, and you either catch up and swim with us, or you fall behind and we leave you in the deep end. Yeah, I don't. I mean, Christian Fulton didn't mention him. Yeah, I, I, like when, where do we when do we stop with the list of guys? Like, if you want to ask questions about this team, we could say like, where's the elite, explosive upside playmakers outside of Derrick Henry right. on the offense? Okay, how about some stability and talent on the offensive line? Okay, we can have questions about that. There's plenty of things to talk about with this team and limiting their Super Bowl upside or whatever. One of them is not buy in. You know, veteran leadership or culture like that's just the all coach of the year who <laughs> kept a team together with 91 players and still won 12 games, who kept the team together through all of that, did not suddenly lose the locker room or culture in the downtime because that's what it was. This all started at voluntary OTAs or voluntary workouts. 
This is where this all started when I players did Tanhill and Mentorgate. Well, that, really that was part of all that. But you got to remember was not the local media's fault. That was the next. Yeah, thing. but you got to remember when Derrick Henry, Ryan Tanhill, and those guys didn't show up. What did people start talking well, about? Culture. Lack of leadership, culture. lack of culture. So, <laughs> to me, in between the end of January and the beginning or middle, or I guess uh, beginning of April, middle of April, or no, beginning of May. It would have been what it was because it calendars was, are tough. Yes, yeah. it's okay. Yeah. I didn't so know it was Thursday. In those months where nobody was involved or nobody besides them <laughs> focusing on the draft, they didn't. He didn't suddenly lose the locker room. It's not like he sent you know emails out, you know, pissing all over, you know, all these. Uh, players. I don't know. I don't know. He did some public events that were controversial in town. I, so. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I think this is just it, it's ridiculous, and I think that anybody questioning. Uh. I think at this point, after especially after yesterday's presser, if you're still questioning and going to p- post this topic out there, has he lost the locker room? What's wrong with the culture of the Tennessee Titans? You probably need your microphone turned off. I, 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 I can get on board with that. I can get on board with that. Are we done with the culture question? Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> we say that about A.J. Brown every week. I, I know. You, you used his name. Yeah. I have not used his name. <laughs> I'm sick and tired of the checking of the bags conversation. All right. Um, Nate Davis. You want to talk about Nate Davis' midriff? Oh, man. He looked great. and and <laughs> He actually did. He, he did. I mean, and even Keith Carter said it. He went out of his way to say he looks great. He feels better. He's playing better. And then you hear from him that he literally got COVID, not just tested positive for COVID, battled through COVID twice last twice, year, yeah. which I've gone through it once. And it's horrible. Yeah, it's not so good. I can't I've imagine. Had, I've had it once too. I can't imagine what someone that has few more pounds on me does, mm. and then has to go out there and try to play in a basically a oxygen needy environment. Pretty much, you have to be on your best game. You have to be conditioned. Mm-hmm. That's hard to do when you're battling through COVID twice. So to me, Nate Davis on the rebound is going to be is just something he, that we got to watch. He, he looked great. Um, he came out of the locker room just cracking jokes and smiling and laughing and feeling like you could just tell right away there was there was bounce there. And again, all this stuff is like what we have to react to in June. Like this is all we can do. I can't be like, oh, well, and we also said that nobody's talking about Nate Davis has missed all of the offseason work, yep. right? Up until this point, we don't know what kind of shape he's going to be. There's no Roger Saffold to keep him accountable, who kept him accountable last year. What kind of shape is he going to be in? And he came in and he says, hey, contract year, <laughs> I'm going to be in the best <laughs> shape of my life. Imagine that. Yeah. What, what did Aaron Rodgers say last year? Like, yeah, contract years are motivation for players. Like, just say the quiet part out loud. We all know that the money is motivating. It should be motivating for right. every human being. Um, I think this goes to same thing with Jeffrey Simmons and Trey Barks. It's not a thing until it's a thing. It, and, t- and Tuesday was the first time it could have been a thing with Nate Davis. And it was not a thing. When Trey Burks shows up at camp, when Jeffrey Simmons is holding out, when it's official that it's become a thing, then then it's a thing. But until then, it's not a thing. Well, if you get twenty twenty, very good big words yeah. for me. If you get twenty twenty Nate Davis back, and you now have him and Ben Jones on the right side, you have Luan on the left. I feel a lot better about this defense or this offensive line. Knowing that, okay, what we saw last year was obviously an outlier from him because he was so up and down, right? Yeah, yeah. And the COVID obviously played into that. Now he's removed from that. Now he's feeling good. He looks lighter. He looks stronger. He looks quicker. This is fantastic news for that right side of the line, especially if you're going to put Dylan Raidens over there. That may be, end up being one of the more athletic right sides of the lines that we've seen here. I do want to know what you think about, like, because th- there's been such a dominant left side with Saffold and Lawan for the last few years. 
that it was very clear. And even one of the years where Lawan was out, they still ran the ball well right. to the left side. But like that, those two guys were sort of a known, proven commodity with Ben Jones. Like you had this. Group. You, you had yeah the whole left side. So was now good. you've now you've got a bigger question mark on the left side, inside at the at left guard. You've got a big question mark at right tackle. But you kind of know if you want to go A or B gap on the right side, you feel pretty good about that with Davis and and Jones together. I I, I don't even have. A, I guess my question is just: Are you concerned about it being spread out? Do you like having knowledge of what one side is going to be? Does that? I mean, nobody's as good as Roger Saffold, so that's maybe a. a a dumb part of the question. Well, I, I think that if you if you at least have three good starting spots, that helps a lot. And if it's if it's just left tackle is the elite part over there on the left side, and let's say Jamarco Jones or Aaron Brewer are just average at best, and then it's Ben Jones and Nate Davis who both have gotten all pro votes in the past, and then Dylan Raidens who we've seen be good on the left side, he seems to be good on the right side. So if he's average, I feel much better about okay. this offensive line than what they were in practice last year with now we know that Nate Davis battled COVID. We know that uh, David Questenberry was not good. And we know that um, every the, then we know Roger Saffold had his own issues yeah. with just age and it's just, staying healthy. I want to set some, some expectation bar here real quick on the offensive line because I would say every single day at camp last year going into the season, we sat around asking about the offensive line, like looking at each other like, Who's going to play that? Like, there was a lot of questions about the offensive line. I have a feeling it's going to be very similar. Yeah, I think that we'll arrive to conclusions quicker, though. And yeah, I think that's that. the, I think that. that's a good thing is arriving to conclusions quicker I, matters. I think, I think that's fair. Um, I, I think it's going to be. I, I, you got to remember, Nate Davis missed a lot of last year with uh, the, yep. that off season, and and he also missed a lot of the 2019. So you can see where health is a major part. Him going through training camp seems to matter the most of any player on the offensive line. So I, I do think a really, really healthy, strong, best of his abilities, earning money for a new contract, Nate Davis, is going to give Terrifying. Raidens and the left guard a, a better chance to succeed. And by the yes. way, I, I just I know it's just OTAs, and I just got done saying you can't really learn a whole lot about the trenches, but Jamarco Jones does not feel like a starting piece. Just uh, that's what out. I figured. I figure it's Aaron Brewer's job to lose, that's even though they so. won't say that. But that it scares me like Dennis Kelly starting a right tackle scared me in that can he make it for all 17 games yeah. plus playoffs at his size? Um, Lawan and Dupree, just in general, coming off just a quick note before we move on to sort of under-the-radar performers from, from uh, minicamp, I do think Lawan and Dupree look different at this stage this year than they did last year. They look far more comfortable, athletic, and fluid, kind of back to themselves. There's no favoring. There's no braces. There's no, there's no nothing. So two guys coming off ACLs, I think are, are I think it's fair to say that they're both back to one, you know, thousand percent. Whereas even with Farley and with with Woods, there's still some like, where are we in this process? So I just that's worth pointing out because again, we haven't talked about Derrick Henry. I'm not sure what there's to say about Derrick Henry. He looked like even better. <laughs> New haircut. I don't know. Like I, I don't know what you want me to say about Derrick Henry. He's Derrick. Henry. So. Yeah, I mean, it just he he looks like he's in the best shape of his life, which is weird to say for someone who's always looked like he's in the best shape of his life. Every day of his entire life, he's looked like that. And we it's know just, his full workout regimen. We know what days yeah. he works out, what days he doesn't, where he goes when he's on his off days, thanks to intrepid reporting. <laughs> fearless, fearless report. All right, so uh, we've got. We'll talk a little touch on the World Cup announcement that's actually coming up today, uh, as it pertains to the Titan Stadium and how that's a factor in all of this. So if we get the World Cup. We'll try to tell you why. If we don't, we'll try to tell you why. Because, again, it's going to happen here in a couple of hours at 4 p.m. Um, before we do that, real quickly, under-the-radar performers 
of minicamp. I'm, I'm going got? with Josh Malone and Reg, Reggie Roberson, and um, Roberson was mentioned a lot by the special teams, and we're going to get into a big special teams topic that I think I really... I we think haven't talked about it a lot. We, we don't, and so I'm kind of... After hearing uh, the special teams coach Craig Ackerman's presser, we got a lot of information, and we touched on it, me and Lebowski, I was just kind of informing him of what was said on our football uh, fo- uh, football podcast, Football and Other F-Words. I was about to say a football a show. A lot of footballs in there. Um but I think that what you're hearing from about Roberson, you know, being in the spe- specialists and uh, maybe possibly in the, I believe he's the punt returner uh, is where he was at. Um, I think that's important because he's when you're with those back end wide receivers, especially like Josh Malone and Reggie Roberson, you have to continue to stand out and you have to find a way on special teams. I don't know what jo- if Josh Malone is doing anything on special teams, but he seems to be a guy that is talked about at least once every, once. When yeah. you guys are out there, you hear something about Josh Malone. Yeah, the coaching staff talks a lot about him. Um, you, you have to be, and this is why I liked Chester Rogers last year, was not because I thought he was going to be a great receiver, but because I thought he was the best punt returner. Right. Um, Cam Batson is, was the guy, but like Rogers was always number two, and that's why I thought he was maybe ahead of a Marcus Johnson or something like that. So I think it'll be interesting to see how they use some of those skill guys. The point is you have to be able to do it all. Right. Racy McMath, by the way, pretty good special teams player, coming down on coverage. So th- there's... Guys that, like, if you're going to use them for 60 or 70 snaps in a season, it's a lot easier for them to keep you on the roster. Whereas if you contribute nothing on special teams, you know, it's easier for them to put you on the practice It's also easier if you are going to carve out a special teams role to have a both gunner ability, coverage ability, and return ability. Because right now I'm looking at Racy McMath. Okay, well, he's a good gunner. What else can he do to carve out? Because he's not a very good wide receiver. And he, you he don't hear anything about Racy McMath. Maybe nobody's asking the right questions, but nobody's going out of their way on the coaching staff to talk about him like they're talking about these two guys, Josh Malone and Reggie Roberson. But everybody's going out of their way to talk about Des Fitzpatrick. So here's – okay, I think there's reasons for all of that, okay. which is good. I think all those observations are accurate. I think Des Fitzpatrick is because he's a higher draft pick and looks better, so much better this year than last year. I still don't know if it's good enough, so I want to be clear on that. Right. Um, I said, I said, I'm football and other F words. I really am kind of rooting against it because I don't like saying I'm wrong. He, he is, <laughs> how long have you been married? <laughs> no, uh, it's, you know, he, he is not when they all do the same drill, like one after another, yeah. like you can tell he's the one who's lacking in like the physical traits. Racy McMath or Des Fitzpatrick. Des Fitzpatrick. Okay. But like Kyle Phillips, first four steps are better than everybody's. His first four steps, like he covers the first eight or 10 yards probably better than everybody and that includes Robert Woods and Dez is like the worst <laughs> covering those eight or ten yards but he's he looks be- he looks better than he did last year so again I'm trying to offer perspective here I think that's the reason you because he's a high draft pick and you think okay they traded up fourth round whatever that's why we're paying it and he looks better he's changed his body I think that's why you ask about him Josh Malone I think is because of the Tennessee thing it's I think it's tied more to he's a local kid with local ties to a local group of people that care about him who also are Titans fans. And I think that is, maybe that's just part of our job in the media because that's what people care about. But also... Did you know that Theo Jackson is from Nashville? <laughs> yes, I did. Was it, was it uh, Overton? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, I think it is Overton. Overton. Um, so I, I think some of that is also, Josh Mullen had a hell of a catch in, in team drills. Seems in the like he's zone. making almost a lot of catches like that. He's like, a good player. Like I, I think he's a solid player. I think that there is a battle between Racy, Josh Malone, Des Fitzpatrick for sort of that true outside 
four, five, and six receiver. Whereas they're only gonna they're gonna have a different battle, which is the battle we've talked about: Kyle Phillips, Brandon Lewis, and and Mason Kinsey in the slot. So I think there's sort sort of these different battles on the wide receiver core. I think you'll start seeing people separate themselves once pads are on. Uh, like I think that's where you're gonna see: is Josh Malone still explosive? Is Kyle yes. Phillips still moving as well? Yes. Is yes. you know all these things when you are can happen when you can chuck Kyle Phillips off yeah. the line. Can he still cover that ground? There you go. I think that's the question. So uh, I think that's a good one. I have a couple of them here. I'm going to start with defense. Both Jacksons. I think Chris Jackson is far more comfortable in his role. Oh, wow. I think he's getting a lot more reps than, than you know, like when they're not starting two guys, it's Chris Jackson's out there. He, he just looks very comfortable and, and, and ready to go. I think Theo Jackson is also quick off the bench. To go into when they when they start rotating guys, he's very quickly into the role, getting a lot of reps with with the first and second team. So I think both Jacksons are, I think, had good camps and and have um, shown the coaching staff that they're trusted, that they can be trusted. Again, I cannot remember in two days of Chris Jackson being told he did anything wrong. Like, and, and there's a lot of guys in the secondary that they're coaching up right now, pretty right. hard. I don't remember anything with Chris Jackson, so I'll give him that. I, a guy that never gets talked about, and that's partly our fault, and and everybody like I think Dontrell Hilliard's a pretty nice player. Yeah, I like he, I like him. He can, he is always number one in the. This is why Nick, I would put Nick Westbrook Akine in the same group too. Like you are a veteran who's been in the league, who understands how to be a professional, how to show up in camp in shape, how to run every drill right. Hilliard can do a little bit of everything. He can catch passes. He's between the tackles. They can run him out of gun. They can run him eye formation outside zone. They can do everything with him. He's a nice player. I, I think him and Nick Westbrook Akine were also pretty solid, like dependable. I think they have roster spots that are all locked up, like period. Yeah, I I, th- I think it's kind of funny that people would even think, and there have been people, so I'm not saying that you said this, that don't think Hillard's going to make it on the roster. He, I think he's as good, good as a lock as you get. I, I think it's Henry Hilliard Haskins. That's it. Yeah. And you're done. And they have kept four or five running backs before. And I'm not counting kept, a fullback. Right. I'm not either. I'm not either. But they have kept four or five running backs, not including fullbacks, before on a roster. Can they do that on this roster with maybe keeping three quarterbacks? Maybe not. But I could see them at least keeping four because we'll what get it. Argument? We'll talk about the special teams because we'll talk about the straight yeah. cannon thing, which I think is utterly ridiculous, and they're blowing smoke up our ass. What, what we'll is talk about that on Monday? What is uh, <laughs> smoke coming up your ass on Monday? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, tune in, folks. One p.m. Uh, what is your? Now I just completely the, the smoke in my ass d- distracted me from. It's what is that's what, what smoking ass does? <laughs> it's a distracting uh, thing. Um, I have up your ass. Talking about keeping running backs on the roster or something along yeah. those lines, uh, I, I can't. I can't even remember what I was going to ask you. But uh. well, there. I think there. Are, I think that there's a good chance to keep four plus a fullback because I'm oh. with you. I, it's hard for me to. I mean, how is Tory Carter doing? Does he, he's he's just he's, there? He's, he's just there. I think he's a solid player, and I yeah. think he does what he's supposed to do really well. I think that you know he's like one of those fan favorite players. I think, I think it's funny how this, they love fullbacks. One of my favorite under the radar performers that I'll wrap up with, Chigakonku. I think yeah. I think he, Is he under the radar though? Maybe not. He does a lot of the things you might ask an H back or a fullback to do. Gotcha. They they could do that with him if they want him Just like they did with Janu. I mean, you're looking at Bingo. I think you're looking at a better Janu. I don't know something about him. I don't know if it's his personality and his combined with what he's already doing. He's not as explosive. Camp, but I feel like Right now, I think that you're looking at a more year one pro ready version of Johnny Smith. Like I think you're getting 2020 Johnny Smith in, which was his third year in almost rookie Chigo Conquo. You may the stats may not be there just because right. Austin Hooper's the right. number one, 
But everything that you used Janu for that year, they they put him at halfback. They did he screen to him. He does not look like a rookie. Yeah, he doesn't look like a rookie, and he doesn't talk like a rookie. He doesn't, doesn't carry like himself rookie. like a he's rookie. Not built like a rookie. He, and it, he's going tight end university. I don't think that. <laughs> I don't think that is that Kittle's place here yeah. in town or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't think he is as explosive, electrifying in the open field yak after as Johnny Smith. I think Johnny Smith was pretty rare, size, speed after the catch kind of guy. But I think you're right that he's further along in, in his refinement as a player. And if you see him used a lot in a lot of different formations and a lot of different roles, don't be surprised. Don't I, be surprised. I just got, and we're speaking of Chigakonku, I just got tagged in a tweet from the Boys and Girls Club of Middle Tennessee about support Chigakonku on MightyCause.com. How do they know? Are they listening to the show? I don't know. I, it's, it wasn't just now. It was I, earlier. I remember what I was going to ask. He's raised $38,880. There you go, Chig. Um, why... Hypothetically, why would they keep Logan Woodside? I think I think it's ba- going to be based on if you are in a game and you need to start a, a player that knows your offense that could probably limit the mistakes, then you're probably going to go with Logan Woodside. I think I, I don't see is that a value though taking a spot away from another player. I think it depends. I mean, we've seen. I mean, yes and no because Ryan Tannehill. You know, I don't miss, know. He doesn't miss a lot of games. I guess, I guess what I need to look at is when it's all said and done, look at where the other positions are at because it seems like while we do have a lot of depth, we have a lot of. I feel like the 53 is already set. Like for me, I think it's close. I, I think uh, the question is uh, an extra offensive lineman. Yeah, I don't think there's an extra offensive or... lineman that you keep, and I don't think there's an extra wide receiver you necessarily have to keep. Okay. It's unusual to keep the three QBs. I, I think it's a special circumstance. That doesn't mean that they're all three going to be active, but I do think, obviously, if you put Logan Woodside down there, you know who's going to become calling is probably one of these other teams that need a someone that, kn- like, you know who picks them up? Someone like Jacksonville. Or yeah, you know who picks yeah. them up? Someone, you know, like Houston, where they, they're they in one of your rivals is bound to pick them up. One of the things... Um, and you can't make roster decisions on what other teams are going to do. Right, right, right. But if, let's say, that you're playing against the Houston Texans, Ryan Tannehill goes down, are you going to want Malik Willis against Lovey Smith defense, or are you going to want Logan Woodside in there who at least will minimize the mistakes? If Malik Willis is good enough to start next year, I'd like it to be Malik Willis. I'd like him to be good enough for it to be Malik Willis. Is my yeah, answer. and, and if, we'll he, if he ends up being it, he ends up being it. But I don't think there's any pressure yeah, on... Yeah them until until training camp happens i think right now you would have to say they're keeping three quarterbacks now training camp can change everything the the other and this is just an observation i have because i i wrote down dylan cole's name but i don't know how where he fits into their plans in camp for example but they do not have a lot of middle linebacker depth yeah he's a special teams guy yeah there's and, not and, a lot but of he's that. also a guy that can kind of he's kind of reminds me a little bit of like david long in that when he had the chance to play he was he was everywhere he was kind of first in because we didn't see any Monty Rice and Nick DeZumbnar is not on this team anymore, right? I don't think so. No, well, so Chance Campbell, your guy. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about him is he's like never in the wrong. This is going to sound so cliche. He's never in the wrong spot. He is always in the right position with the right hand placement and the right thing. And and when he's in that, when that positioning can win him a play, he wins. Yeah. He wins every time. The issue is when it's like. I'm a running back, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do a flat route, and I'm just gonna out athlete you into the flats. That's where positioning can't win you the play. You need to be able to be athletic enough, and he sometimes struggles. He sometimes struggled with that, um, but otherwise, like it's Zach Cunningham, David Long, and then what? 
Money Rice, maybe Dylan Cole. But that's that's uh, yeah. that's something to watch because right now, same thing with safety. Like it's Theo Jackson. Well, they've only really ever kept four or five linebackers right. too, so maybe just, they're just, just comfortable with those. Just four something or five. to keep an eye on. And then, of course, last but not least, before we get to the World Cup here, uh, route craft. My favorite phrase from minicamp this year. I heard it five different times from five different people. Everyone's Kyle Phillips great at route craft. Austin Hooper great at route craft. When somebody says route craft, it's the new take a shot. It's the narrative. It's yeah, you know, cliche. It's identity. It's, it's called like give me a break. When route, I say give me a break, everybody route. has to take a shot. <laughs> route craft is the new one. I do enjoy it. I don't know if it's a Tim Kelly invention because it just arrived this this off season, but route craft, which I assume is how you manipulate your defensive player into getting open at football being a good route runner. But you're going to hear it a lot. I heard Vrabel say it a bunch. I heard Ryan Tannehill say it. Route craft. Route Kyle craft. Phillips, great at route craft. Route craft. <laughs> it's a weird computer game. All right, take us home on this. It's so, a football show. <laughs> do, do it again. It's a football show. I, like okay, I can't, I like can't really do it. I like it. Uh, can you do the one from Cinco de Mayo? <laughs> no, I can't. I would have to go, have to go back and I have to read it. De la lista. Um, okay, so it's coming up. And so if you're listening to this after the announcement, Sorry. Uh, but if you're watching us live, which is hopefully what you always do, then you'll get this information now, which is sort of the beauty of being with us right now. So the, if Nashville does not get the World Cup, why? I think it's tied directly to the stadium. It, it, we've talked to a lot of people about this. Uh, go back and listen to our, our interview with Butch Speardon of Lanestream Sports if, if, if you get the annou- announcement today. If we do not get the World Cup, it is because we are trying to build a second massive stadium right next to the first stadium, keeping the first stadium up to date to use for the World Cup, and then I don't know how you keep a campus around Nissan Stadium, like enjoyable, beautiful, green, and not have it be a giant construction site. Here's something to think about. Nissan Stadium might be preferred by FIFA. I don't know this for a fact, but outside, natural grass, and potentially bigger. The World Cup would like all three of those things over a new stadium with a roof and turf, which they would then put grass on top of, which is terrible. Gotcha. So they, they could be preferring Nissan Stadium. So if we do get it, it's because we're going to keep Nissan Stadium up to date perfectly for the next three or four years through the entire construction process, which means the Titans won't go play in Vanderbilt or Nashville SC or Memphis right. during the process. They'll stay in Nissan. Uh, and if we do get it, it's because Nashville is the second to none at hosting great events and that they're fine and comfortable with Nissan Stadium being the location for World Cup matches in 2026. So It'll be interesting to see because it's such a popular event you know, nationally. There is an international airport, obviously, that comes mm-hmm. in. And it'll be interesting to see how the city compensates for this influx of people that are going to be – I think it's going to be probably the biggest event they've ever had. How is traffic? I mean – I mean, they're pretty good. I mean, CMA Fest is is ninety thousand people, right? Like, if they can handle like if they can handle the hotel rooms, which they can, and the infrastructure of the people being downtown, which they can, if they think they can host a Super Bowl, they can host a World Cup match. Because what happens if it's uh like again, the U.S. is in like the Wales group this year, right? Like, what if it's U.S. versus Wales? That's not going to be a like U.S. would be a huge draw for us. But I just I'm trying to yeah Portugal versus Wales in Nashville is that going to be is there going to be a huge influx of people for that? I don't. I don't know. I think I would go. Like I would take yeah. my kids, and I would love to do it. But I don't. I can't. I hope we get it. But I have a feeling that that this, the stadium uncertainty is what's driving FIFA's hesitancy. And putting money on it right now, where you think? I don't think we get it. Okay. I don't think we get it. I think we get the draw. Yeah. Which is the event where they actually announce where all the teams go and all the dignitaries from around the world fly in and spend money. It's not really a fan event, but it's good for our economy. 
I think we get the draw. We do not get a host. That's gotcha. my final prediction. There you go. There you have it. Uh, make sure you subscribe to all the things, all the buttons, the notifications, the Twitter feeds, the YouTube feed, all that great stuff. Of course, Cast Collective on Instagram, Cast underscore Collective. Make sure you check them out as well. Kingston Group, our great sponsor here on a football show. BuildKG.com is the website. Football and other efforts podcast, Broadway Sports Media, all the other 440 sports shows you should listen to and subscribe to, all that great stuff. No more non-issue issues on the show today. No more. We are done. Big special teams. Big special teams conversation. Can't wait for that. I think it's going to be fun. On it sounds boring, but we'll make it. Oh, it doesn't sound boring at all. Well, maybe not to us. I can't wait. We're going to do that on Monday. Tune in every Monday and Thursday, 1 p.m. Everywhere you get your shows, Twitter, YouTube, all the great stuff. For Zach, I'm Braden. Thanks for watching. This has been a football show.